Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to this Innovation Forum webinar held in partnership with Everland. I'm Ian Welsh and I will be your host for the next hour or so. Today, in the latest in our From the Forest Frontline series, we'll be talking with some community representatives from around the world who live and work in protected forests benefiting from Red Plus projects. In particular, we will be discussing how the projects work to strengthen human rights in partnership with Indigenous peoples and local communities. Red Plus projects are, of course, funded by the sale of verified emissions reductions credits, certainly an ongoing hot topic and one that we have been covering for some time. Carbon credits have their critics, of course. However, they are an effective market-based solution that gets funding to forest preservation projects on the ground. Moreover, a recent piece of research from Ecosystem Marketplace shows how corporate buyers of carbon credits are typically the companies doing the most to decarbonize their operations and supply chains. To give some on-the-ground insights, I'll be joined shortly by representatives live from projects in Cambodia, Peru, Kenya and Colombia. And thanks also to Innovation Forum's B. Stevenson and Savannah Razak for all their work in the run-up to today and their work behind the scenes during the webinar. All right. Let's get cracking. To get some background to Red Plus, I'm delighted to introduce Josh Tosserson, who's president of Everland. Josh, Everland works with Red Plus projects around the world to channel corporate finance into projects and the communities uh, they work with. So, Josh, what are Red Plus projects and how exactly are they funded? Um, Red projects, very simply, are conservation partnerships that bring together all the stakeholders in a threatened forest, communities, governments and others, including technical service providers that support communities and governments to reduce deforestation and threatened forest landscapes. Um, how are Red Projects financed? On a purely voluntary basis. This is entirely voluntary. Um, and they're funded on the basis of performance by selling verified emissions reductions that result from successful efforts that the projects undertake to reduce their um, deforestation and emissions against the baseline performance benchmark. That's how it works. Why should a company invest in RED then, RED projects, ahead of other carbon projects, other carbon credit schemes? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll begin by saying I, I don't want to frame my answer as a this versus that. Um, and I don't think it was the spirit that was asked, and but some people take it that way. Um, what I would say is first that um, ending forest loss is the most urgent, highest impact action that a company can take beyond the work to reduce emissions in their own internal value chain. Forest loss um, generates two to three times times the emissions on an annual basis as all of the aviation sector globally. There's no way we're going to stabilize the climate without eliminating deforestation completely by 2030, as many, many of the governments and all the important forest governments of the world have pledged to do. RED is the only mechanism that we have in place that can provide real financial value to communities and to governments for their choice to take conservation as a development path in lieu of all the other alternatives that are available and which has shown the ability to scale at the pace and with the effectiveness that's really needed to handle the magnitude of this problem. Josh, thank you. What, what are the characteristics then of a Red, project, Red Plus project done well? And as we go through our various case studies this afternoon, um, what should we be looking out for as we work through them? What is a high quality red project? It's 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 one that works to transform the situation on the ground. What is that situation on the ground? It's it's one where there are all these drivers of forest loss taking place. So what a red project really tries to do over a multi-decadal time frame is transform those drivers into durable social and economic structures that enable people to prosper, enable their communities to prosper alongside the forest. Um, because forest loss is driven by economics and by development needs, and because basic human rights you know, to land, to social services, to natural resources, these are the foundations for development and for prosperity. So effective red projects, really good red projects must and do address these needs for basic human rights as they work over that 
multi-decadal time frame to create the social and economic foundations for long-term conservation. Okay, let me turn first then to uh, Kim Chik Chai, who's in the Kiyosima Wildlife Sanctuary Red Plus Project in Cambodia. Welcome to you. Um, your project in Cambodia is based in forests inhabited by the indigenous Bunong people who have lived there for generations. So how does the project work in partnership with the community to enhance their rights? Indigenous Bunong people have long inhabited and protected this forest, maintaining the rich biodiversity through their traditional practice and animistic belief. They have a very deep, deep connection to spirit and barrier forest. Over a decade of engagement has deepened our partnership leading to the securing of seven indigenous communal land title or short ICT, um, the first of their kind in Cambodia. Several more are underway. This ICT provides the Bunong with formal legal rights to their communally held land for the first time. This is not just a legal formality, it's a recognition and affirmation of their stewardship. With this title, the community can exercise legal authority over their ancestral land, enabling them to enforce conservation practice and engage in sustainable livelihood projects that create jobs and share income, like communally-led ecotourism venture. They now have ensured access to external forest resources, vital for their way of life, while continuing to conserve biodiversity within their territory. The ICT provides the mechanisms that recognize and support the Bunong sustainable practice and deep connection to the land, effectively support conservation while enhance their livelihood and reinforce their cultural heritage. For Red Plus projects, there's a significant importance to additionality and to, to baselines. Can you tell me, please, what has happened to the forests outside of the project boundary? The forests outside the Kausima Wildlife Sanctuary boundary are under immense threat. Facing accelerated deforestation and degradation due to various factors, including illegal logging, agricultural expansions, and other unsustainable practice. A clear contrast is visible when comparing area within the outside our project boundary. The animations we are presenting visually capture this dark difference over time, revealing the protective impact of the project in collaboration with the indigenous Bunong community. Snow Wildlife Sanctuary, for instance, has experienced significant loss of its forest cover. The absence of a robust community center conservation strategy like our result in forest displacements, endangering biodiversity and the livelihood of those depend on the forest. Our community-centric approach have prevents the forest it's empower the local community to actively practice and benefit from the conservation activity, creating a sustainable models for forest and community well-being. It's evident that without active interventions and cooperative efforts with indigenous community, the valuable forests in the region risk being lost taking with them the air applicable biodiversity and the crucial resource upon which local population depend. The deforestation pattern witnessed outside the project area underscore the urgent need for expansions of similar conservation initiative and imperative to secure more land title, safeguarding both the forest and the rice and livelihood of the indigenous people. Thank you. Thank you very much. I was lucky enough to visit the Kiyosima project uh, in May this year, and it was just very clear on the ground, the differences within and without the project area. Uh, so thank you for sharing. Um, just final, final question then. So 
thinking in terms of land title, why is securing then the land title so important for the Bunong people? Securing the land title for Bunong people is a fundamental act of recognition and respect. It provides them with legal rights and recourse, essentially telling them and the world that their cultural heritage is valuable and worth safeguarding. The legal empowerment through land title allows Bunong people to have formal say in what happened to their ancestral land. This is not just about ownership. It's about ensuring their ability to continue being steward of this land, living in harmony with the forest as they have for centuries. Legal land title offer a protective barrier, allow indigenous people to push back against type of the de development that are odd with their traditional way of life and deep spiritual connections to the forest. With the land title, Bunong have a solid legal standing to protect their interests and preserve their way of life. Having this land legally recognized and titled affirms it is there indefinitely. This security is a powerful enabler to them to continue while doing what the forest offers while safeguarding it for future generations. This approach, we believe, should be replicated and serve as a powerful model for all communities living in and around protected area worldwide. It's a tangible step towards a more inclusive and respectful form of conservation that benefit nature and the people. Okay, let us move to uh, the Altameo project in Peru, and I'm joined by Jose. Uh, welcome. Um, so the key thing in the project, your project, <clears throat> is the conservation agreements that are entered into. So perhaps you can start uh, by telling us what a conservation agreement is, please. Gracias. Uh, Thank uh, you very much for inviting me. We have the conservation agreement as a tool, and this is a voluntary mechanism that is oriented to strengthen the effective management of protected wildlife areas in Peru. Through this agreement, we want to generate alliances between the National uh, Service for Protected Area with local stakeholders, who may be families, organizations, associations, cooperatives, also indigenous or um, rural communities who share commitment for a period of time in a defined area of land. From the agreements, we get mutual benefits for both parts in order to generate welfare for people and ensuring the maintenance of the conservation of biodiversity and that on ecosystems that these protected areas have and also buffering areas and the landscapes that are nearby. Perhaps you could explain, please, how the, the, the link between a conservation agreement, halting deforestation, with the development of economic opportunities for the local people. The signature of these conservation agreements with families that live there has allowed them to have the chance to have technical agreements to improve conditions in the occupied, for example, Alto Mayo, which is an area that is famous for its coffee plantations, so improving the coffee plantations and crops. And it has also allowed them to diversify productive activities that are sustainable with other crops, such as, for example, pitahaya, vanilla as well, and also native bees to produce honey, orchid cultivation. And it has also allowed them to have small tourism, specialized tourism activities collectively and as families oriented to bird watching 
due to the high biodiversity in the area and also the families have received incentives to improve sanitation in the homes with better kitchens, with ecological dry bathrooms, um, bio um, orchards, and that also improves their diet. It has also allowed the strengthening of women who were the first who became involved in signing this agreement. They now have an organization and they are working on handicrafts with mentions of the flora and fauna of the natural protected area. The technical help and the sustainable economic activities that I have mentioned has allowed them to have better income in these families and the deforestation has gone down in these protected areas. We had 478 acres a year that were lost to deforestation and we have managed to get down to 195 hectares and this is still going down and we have been able to stop the illegal extraction of uh, wood. Final question at this stage, how have the human rights of the communities involved been enhanced and protected uh, by the project or by the in collaboration with the project? First of all, the conservation agreement has allowed families to keep occupying the territory within the natural protected area and its buffering zone. This is a population that was illegally there, but the conservation agreement has given them a certain amount of legality, so to speak and to have the opportunity to organize themselves in associations, cooperatives, with the recognition of the National Service for Protected Areas, which has allowed them to have certifications such as the Certification Alliance, Allied for Conservation, the Organic uh, and Fair Trade certifications, which have allowed them to certify their products such as coffee and has allowed them to export to special markets with differential prices. And also the dialogue that they've had with these families has allowed for the improvement of basic services in the access to education, such as the creation of educational uh, institutions, high schools especially, and articulate to public projects to improve the productive chain of some products such as coffee by building warehouses and also the improvement of roads towards the communities that are within this territory. And also it has allowed for families to become involved as voluntary rangers through surveillance committees to help in controlling against environmental crimes within the territory. And these are now part of the family of rangers. For the signature of this agreement of conservation, there was no distinction made. Everybody had the chance to sign. There was no age distinction, for example. Many elderly people have become involved, men and women both. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Jose. Uh, let's turn now to the Kasegao Corridor project in Kenya. I'm delighted to be joined uh, by Seraphine uh, from the Kasegao Corridor Red Plus project. Welcome, Seraphine. Nice to be working with you once again. So yes. in Kasegao, one of the key community governance, structure, governance structures of your project are the locational carbon committees. Please, can you, Serafina, can you explain what the uh, locational carbon committees are? Thank you. Uh, I'm Serafin. I'm a member of the community from which the Kasigao Red Cross project operates, and I'm a former member of the locational carbon committee. Now, the locational carbon committee is a governance structure for the partnership between the community and the project operations. It is uh, democratically elected and very well inclusive. The members of this committee represent the communities from which and within which they come from. And they are, uh, the election is done through big public meetings called barazas. And 
the first one must come from that area. Now, this this committee, therefore, is made of uh, uh, people who live and uh, work in the localities of the project. Their main function is actually a representation. They represent their community's interest in the project and in partnership with the project. Uh, one of the things that uh, is ensured by these committees is that, uh, first of all, there is uh, fairness in terms of distribution of revenue allocated to the projects in the communities. They also make sure that uh, there is fairness and inclusivity, that no community is left behind when this process of revenue sharing and projects implementation is done. The other thing is that uh, they also ensure accountability because then they, this is a, a, they become an open forum, a structure whereby all the issues regarding to the partnership between the community and the project are discussed, including finances, how much has to be given to the community, uh, what are the thematic areas that are going to be funded at one particular point, and even uh, include themselves in the procurement process for the project. What are the main community impacts of these carbon committees? The main impact of these committees, therefore, is in their decision-making process and their linkage between the project and the community. In terms of decision-making, being people who actually live in the communities, they are aware of their needs, they are aware of the circumstances in which they live, they are able to prioritize or decide which are the thematic areas that are going to be covered by the revenue from the project within a certain period of time. For example, there, there, there may be this time there may be need for them to look at to look further into agriculture. And through that decision, then they may they take the information, the other the other function and the other impact is now the sharing of information and leakage between the project and the community. So they take the information uh, regarding the thematic areas that are going to be uh, uh, funded by the revenue collected from the project. And the community is therefore able to decide that this time we need to prioritize on this particular project or the other one. And therefore they are able to, to put according to their felt needs forward to, their, uh, to, to, to the project then. And as they partner, then it, the projects are implemented according to the information. Are there any examples then of how the community's rights have been strengthened that you can share? Yes, there are very many examples that we can share about this. One of the important things is that what those thematic areas that are covered, community impact projects, for example, they, they talk we talk about education. There are uh, projects that are implemented in education. One, to maybe improve the infrastructure of the education system, or maybe to give uh, scholarships to needed students who require that. There are projects in water, improving access to clean water or increasing access to clean water for the communities. We have maybe some collection points that water is harvested, maybe through tanks, the tanks are, are, con are constructed by the projects. We also have health uh, projects that uh, increase the access of the community to health care primary health care and other types of health care. We also have issues of agriculture because most of the people who live around the, the project area do uh, agriculture. Therefore, the, there is improvement of agriculture systems through the project in terms of conservation agriculture, in terms of being able to farm to get together with issues of conservation brought on board. Issues like, for example, also water, dams, for example, water pans, where livestock can be able to get water and people can be able to develop their own livelihoods using these areas. Now, uh, these uh, projects, once they, the community partners with the project in these areas, they become incentives to the community because they are basic rights, they are basic needs that are met through the project. And the community then get incentives towards now taking care of the ecosystem, taking care of the environment. And you, you see that this also incentivizes the community to be able to, to reduce the drivers of deforestation that now they can be taken care of. And therefore, 
there's no degradation in terms of farming, in terms of any other. The other important point is uh, reduction of human wildlife conflict. This one, because the community lives in the project area, and during conservation, there is likelihood of the animals coming over. And one of those incentives of taking care of the animals themselves is the fact that the community is protected in one way or the other by the project, be able to take their crops and so on. The impact is huge as far as the community is concerned in partnership with this project. Thank you, Seraphine. Shanti, your project, exciting structure that involves the Indigenous communities in the project's governance. So just explain how this works and who's involved, please. Charity. We believe that uh, equitable and uh, participatory governance structure is key to the success of uh, any Red Plus project. And for the Chulu Hills Red Plus uh, project, we have a unique model whereby this is a uh, a project with uh, nine different uh, partners involving the local group branches and uh, the government entity and uh, NGOs. We have indigenous group branches communities, that is uh, Kuku A. We have Kuku group branch, we have Romba group branch and uh, Impirikani group branch. And uh, we also have uh, two government entities, Kenya Wildlife Service and Kenya Forest Service. We also have uh, three NGOs, that is Maasai Wilderness Conservation Trust. We have the David Shedrick and um, uh, Big Life Foundation. So investment in the project enables the preservation of the Chulu Hills cloud forest. How does this help in turn to secure Indigenous people's rights? Uh, the project helps uh, or support uh, the Indigenous uh, community rights in the sense that, uh, one, the project is bringing us together as a community. The Maasai community is a pastoral community and we are very much attached to nature. And through the project, we are able to do uh, more conservation. As a result, um, getting access to uh, pasture for livestock. The other thing through the project, we are able to support or promote the local Maasai communities, especially the women. Before the project, women were not uh, allowed to own property, or have income, but through the project, we are able to empower the local Maasai women economically through uh, conservation-oriented projects like beekeeping. Uh, through the project also, we are able to support the girl child through a sustainable menstrual solution kit to ensure that the girls don't miss uh, schools or classes because of their menses. Also through the project, we are able to support the community members in uh, land subdivision and uh, getting their land title deeds. Can you give us some more information perhaps on the economic benefits for communities generated by the project? Uh, the project has uh, generated uh, sustainable economic benefits to the locals. One being uh, through direct employment. The project has employed community members as rangers to do more uh, patrols and uh, protecting of the Chulus, also protecting the Chulus from the fires, which is a threat to the project. Uh, through the project, also we have uh, employed teachers to support or improve the poor people-teacher ratio in the, in the schools, in the group branches. Through the project, also we have been able to employ health staffs and um, improving the health facilities in the group branches. Also through the project, we have been able to empower the local communities economically through uh, conservation-oriented projects like um, uh, beekeeping. Also through the project, we have been able to make sure that the kids are staying in school because for the last two years, we have been experiencing very severe droughts in the area. And through the project, we have been able to uh, provide at least lunch for the school-going kids. We have been able to support the group branches uh, economically through uh, school bursaries, making sure that the kids are able to stay in school or go to school through uh, school bursaries. Let me come now to um, the Acapa Biomira Frontera project in Colombia, represented today by Dalila. Perhaps you can explain the relationship uh, the communities living in the project area have with the forests in Acapa. The RED project for us in Colombia is a great opportunity and possibility to recognize what has been going on in the territory ancestrally. 
the community councils are ethnic authorities that are created through a law, so they have a legal backing. It is a law from 1993, and it gives the legal authority to these community councils so that their land is their own. This between 2000 and 2003, the community council ACAPA received a collective title. In that process, it recognizes that the communities have been looking after the forest and they have a very close relationship between the community and the forest because we live around the forest. We live in the forest. And for many generations, the forest has been looked after responsibly. Those who have developed the productive activities or wood extraction activities has been able to carry it out in an illegal way. But since these community councils have this legal backing and the viability in the country, there was a much more friendly process that began. Now we have a very friendly link. It is sustainability based. It is responsible with regards to the forest that is in our territory because we live in it. How does the project engage with and partner with the local communities to enhance and protect their rights? First, the project is conceived by us as communities. A project has been dreamt by us as a community. As a community, we build instruments for planning of the territory. As a community, we said we want a red plus project so that we can have the recognition of what we have been doing so far in a very specific way. From that, we began to have a much more direct relationship with the institutions that are doing important things around our territory as well. So what we drafted in a document is what we were able to take to reality. In all of the structures that we have in our territory, we have associations, cooperatives, but our project is community-based. We have administrative bodies that are federal, uh, these boards, and they have a very big community assembly. And that community assembly is where decisions are made in favor of the territory, where decisions are made that they have been agreed and approved are the ones that we later on implement once we are part of the Red Plus project. That is the relationship we have with communities. It is very close because the project belongs to the communities between women, men, and children in the project. We are interrelated, and there is like a symbiosis that is the communities dream and implement what they have dreamt. Very quickly then, can you just reflect on how things have changed since the start of the Red Plus project. Yes, things have changed because there are there is more responsibility. Although it is true that there are resources that we receive because we have looked after the forest. We have been friendly uh, in the way we use natural resources. And those resources is where we implement the different activities in order to strengthen our territory community governance, the forestry governance in order to strengthen the conservation of species of flora and fauna in the territory and also to drive the various productive components. In our case, to strengthen cocoa production that generate economic development from inclusive business perspectives where families are autonomous, independent, and own their projects. And as a territory, this has given back recognition internationally because we must highlight that we have managed to get to the first position in, of course, high quality cocoa. We won this award in 2015, 2016. And when it comes to coconut, we in Colombia are the strongest producer of coconuts, very high quality one. So 
all these actions that are carried out, we guarantee families can be part of a productive dynamic that have sustainable income and that can also be friendly towards the environment and that the value chain is respected for each of these products. We are transparent when it comes to making the investment with the resources. And that is the recognition that Red Plus gives the communities. These resources are implemented within each of the activities that the communities have already designed in their project plan through our theory of change matrix and through each of the instruments of planning, the communities have said what their activities were when it comes to governance, conservation of biodiversity, productive alternatives, but we also have social integration, which is crucial to allow us to cover many of the things that are lacking that government should satisfy. We are covering that, helping education, drinking water, and other activities. So red for us is part of our life. Red has changed the dynamic when it comes to economic issues because we are rich due to our territory, biodiversity, and everything that surrounds us. But we did not have the financial resources to develop like we're developing now. So the reflection is that red has strengthened us and we have done things according to the regulations and what the communities have demanded of us. Thank you. Thank you, Dila. And thank you to all of our panelists. Very powerful descriptions of how the Red Plus projects in collaboration with local communities, Indigenous peoples have, have done so much to enhance livelihoods and, and, and human rights uh, for these peoples. I want to turn to some questions. A lot of questions really that are Probably for, for Josh, a questioner, Tony Simmons um, from C4 Aircraft mentions and highlights the fact that it's very worthy and rewarding, crucial to preserve these uh, projects, but so much is linked to the carbon price. Um, IMF suggests that carbon price should be greater than $75 per tonne. Uh, UC Berkeley uh, study suggests that um, the cost of carbon should be $180 per tonne. Global average price, $6 per tonne. Should there be a minimum floor price, Josh? How can you put a value on life? How can you put a value on the human rights of people? These are really impossible questions to ask. Can you put a floor price on life? So well, I guess if you've got a market-based solution, then we need to have a pricing, you know, pricing is part of that, isn't it? I'm being provocative um, because, of course, we, we in Everland, we, you know, we're, we're a service provider to the people that you're hearing today. And so our job is to try to push as far as possible. And so we believe very much that carbon pricing in the ideal should be based on the social cost of carbon as, as Tony is, is suggesting, or at least at a minimum on the basis of what the opportunity cost is, because everyone here has a choice in what to do with their forest and they can make money that way. And so you've got to make conservation an economically viable choice, absolutely. And in the end, you have to convince a buyer who is doing this on a purely voluntary basis. And I do want to credit and thank companies who are writing checks to support this kind of work on a purely voluntary basis. I want to emphasize they don't need to do this. They don't need to do it at all. So why are they doing this? What is going to motivate them to do this? What is going to motivate price? What motivates price is impact is understanding the meaningfulness of this work, how important it is, then you value it. So it's why the stories that you're hearing here, the real impacts that you're hearing here from the voices of people who are doing this work and experiencing the benefits of it is so important. This is the value case for Red Plus right here. Good point, well said, Josh, thank you. Um, another quick question about uh, finances, how these projects get started. There were several questions asking about how a project might get started. So could you just very quickly outline the sort of process for kicking these projects off? The process, of course, must begin with each and every one speaking with the people who are here. I mean, I remember hearing Jose when I was in Alto Mayo tell the story of going around to the family. So now this is a big project, but in the beginning, there wasn't one family who had signed a conservation agreement. 
this man here walked around in that forest with a laptop in his backpack. I, he told me the story and he sat down with the people. And he is, is I know from the area of Peru, where um, the same people who went in to live in the Altamaya forest were from. And he went in, he talked, he made relations with these people and he talked with them. And so the first thing you have to do if you want to begin a project like this is to spend time with the communities and step-by-step step, walk through a process that is called free prior and informed consent. But what that really means is in good faith, spending the time needed to make relations and to um, develop a true partnership with the community. That's the first and foundational thing you need to do to begin a project like this. That actually leads me to a question that I wanted to put to Jose. You mentioned about market links. If you Could you perhaps, Jose, just give us a little bit more detail um, about the market links between the communities and the external markets and how, you, how the project assists in that connection? Bueno, primero, este, nosotros, sure. Eh... First, we've uh, helped improve the quality of the product. In the case of coffee, both in the physical and in the uh, organolectic uh, performance of the coffee. And then to organize themselves, organize them in a co-op. And this cooperative has obtained the organic certification, the fair trade certification, another one that is uh, allies for the conservation that is provided by the government, by the national service of protected natural areas and this has allowed them to sell the product outside even in europe or the us in specialized markets and the differential price is due to the improvement of the quality of the coffee in the cup that is it's a coffee with lots of attributes lots of particularities in the taste the flavor and that benefits directly the families that have been gradually improving and even now we are selling the coffee through digital platforms directly to the toasters not so much to the intermediaries so that has allowed the income to improve it's better than what they could obtain in the local market that's for coffee we're trying to do that with other products as well like vanilla that we're trying to improve its quality we have a number of different questions asking the importance of, of women's rights and empowering uh, women and how the projects help. I wonder if perhaps I could put that to a couple of our projects. Seraphine, I know in Kasigao, women's empowerment is really important. Can you perhaps just give us a very quick bit of information or detail around specifically how women are empowered through the uh, help of the Red Plus project? I think most of these uh, activities that uh, are done by the project in our area directly impact on women. It is women who suffer a lot whenever they cannot access clean water. They take a lot of time. They have to move long distances. To no, I think we maybe lost you. Let me put that point also then to perhaps you, Charity, um, in terms of the specifics of uh, women's empowerment. And you mentioned a few things earlier, but are there any other examples of how women are empowered through the project in Chulu Hills? Yes, uh, apart from uh, the beekeeping project, we are also in the process of uh, establishing a beadwork project uh, to support women do uh, beadwork uh, through the Red Plus project in collaboration with the Kenya Wildlife Service. The question I want to put to, uh, well, refers to uh, Dalila's in intervention earlier. Um, and I want to put this to you, if you wouldn't mind, uh, Dalila. Um, question for Jeff, Jeff Hayward. Um, he commented how you mentioned community a lot in your responses um, and do you think that um, perhaps people that criticise uh, Red Plus Project, carbon crediting, don't ex understand what's going on on the ground and don't understand the level of, as the question puts, agency and leadership that your communities are, are demonstrating? Okay. Yes, I agree with that. I think that when you are on the ground, those of us who have the opportunity of getting to know these projects firsthand with the communities, you feel and you uh, get that real and concrete knowledge that the communities are empowered. Today, we can say that our community projects have an amazing 
uh, empowerment at all levels. I was speaking of the kids, the youth, uh, women, men. We have women that are stronger now through their production initi initiatives, through their business ideas also that have been supported accordingly so that these women also feel an active part because they are active when they participate in the economic responsibility, when they can also manage economic resources, apart from all the actions, all the things they do in their homes. The power in the communities, very generally speaking, because it's not just being in a board or managing the territory, that empowerment is at all levels, at the communities that are the essential foundations of the territory and of this project in particular. And when I say the communities, they also organize themselves to sell their different farming products. For instance, as I mentioned, cocoa. Today in our territory, we have groups of women that are transforming cocoa, groups of women that are transforming cocoa. I mean, they are making a great use of their product. And that's important because they're also part of the chain of the Red Plus project. So the power is with the communities and with the people that live in the territory. Thanks very much. Seraphine, great to have you back. I wanted to put that, that point around community agency and leadership. Do you want to comment on that? Yes, I am. I am. The, the, the ground or the community representation in the, in the project in terms of uh, giving voice to the community to be able to participate fully in what uh, the projects are, are in, the, in the projects, one, in the choice of the projects that are being undertaken, two, in the process of implementation, Three, in the decision-making in terms of what project do we need ourselves according to our own feelings as a community. There are examples of this on the ground. Uh, for example, in my own community, we have had a, a tank contracted, constructed last year to be able to uh, receive water. And uh, about 500 members now are accessing this water in the community. 500 members of the community are now able to access clean water just because of this. The project, the impact of the project uh, is good. And uh, what is important is now enhancing these impacts through even more shifts towards the community now being able to participate even further and even uh, more funding. We are looking forward to more funding for the project. Maybe many people now being able to buy the carbon so that the communities can actually fully benefit because still there are gaps that need to be addressed. Thank you, Seraphine. Kevin, do you want to comment on that as we close? We come to the end of the webinar. Comment a little bit on some of the lack of understanding about the sort of terms of agency and leadership in, in the communities. The protected area, like in, in, in Cambodia, in Kalasimara Plus Project, formerly like, uh, managed by the ministries of environment, the government. And, but then since the uh, local community live within the protected area and we respect the indigenous people, right? We protect the cultural right. So we trying to like um, engage community in the protection of the forest, like co-management. So we need to support the community to manage the certain area in order to like protect the cultural and set the boundary for the community who live in the forest where we implement the plus project so that they will not clear the forest outside their designated boundary. In terms of the criticisms on the Plus project violates the indigenous people, right? If it comes to the Gelsimara Plus project, it's not true because um, the Gelsimara Plus project trying to respect and empower the indigenous people to continue using the resource in the traditional way. So they continue to live in their own way and, and live in their own way here. They also support the uh, protections of the forest to uh, success in Red Plus project implementation. How the indigenous people, like lifestyle, the traditional way uh, helps support the conservation or implement Red Plus project. Um, because 
they uh, believe in the sacred forest, they believe in burial forest, so they don't let uh, anyone clear that forest and they themselves do not clear the forest. So this is their way of uh, supporting supporting to uh, implement the class project to achieve the objective of the Red Plus project. Thank you very much indeed. Josh, let me just give you a final word to you, Josh, just to kind of sum up what we've heard. What are the key things that you're taking away? What I've heard is that we're seeing remarkable breakthroughs for the rights of people, Indigenous people and local communities across a tremendously wide diversity of situations from where Indigenous people are living in protected areas where they didn't have any recognized land rights, all the way to um, communities such as Atacapa Bahumira that do have firm tenure rights and strong governance, and they're trying to use RED as a way to support their human right to chart their own autonomous, sustainable development path without cutting down the forest. And you know, to me, you know, what cuts across all of this is that people living in forest communities have the right to have real options to develop themselves in the way that they want, we are obligated to provide options. So I don't think the critics of of RED have a fair or an accurate picture whatsoever. Um, In fact, I think they're being extraordinarily disrespectful. If you hear the work and the heart and the impact of the work uh, that we've heard about today, it's, it's tremendously disrespectful and it's tremendously harmful. Um, These people are pursuing the real human right, which is to create options. And so I just want to say thank you for sharing your story and sharing the truth of what's happening on the ground in, in your work. Josh, thank you very much indeed. Many thanks indeed to our panel, echoing Josh. It's been a real uh, pleasure and an honor to be with you all uh, today from all around the world. It's been really exciting to, to, to be part of this conversation. Much more content on the Innovation Forum website, including some interviews that I did when I was uh, in the Red Plus project in Cambodia. Thanks to Everland for their support of this webinar. But that's it for now. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>